from, from our standpoint, it's all about understanding the customer's motivations. Why are they buying your product? Why do they choose you instead of a competitor? And also like understanding where these things are happening does have some impact in that context for sure. Welcome back to Bite Sized. I'm super excited today. I've got a good friend of mine, uh, Jeremiah on the podcast. He is founder and CEO of No Commerce. Um, probably one of the leading post-purchase uh, technology companies out there. Jeremiah, welcome. Great to have you on. Um, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's, been, it's good to catch up. It's been a little while. It has, hasn't it? Yeah, we were just saying that. Yeah. It's, it's been a minute. So talk to me a bit more. Uh, no commerce. Um, what was the motivation behind starting it? What's, what's the mission? What's the vision? And also why post-purchase survey technology? Yeah, it's <laughs> a good question. Um, yeah, so I'll just give you a little bit more backstory about myself because I think that that's helpful in this context. So, um, I've been in the e-commerce tech space since 2012, well, e-commerce space, not just tech, but, uh, started building WooCommerce extensions in 2012, um, sold that business and then tried to build my own brand and did not go well. Uh, I lost all my money. Um, it's hard. It's a lot harder than it thinks, but if anybody out there has done it and is doing it successfully, uh. I applaud you because it is not easy to do. Um, so yeah, I did that for a little while, um, got into agency work for a little bit and then, um, back into tech. And so in, uh, 2020, a good friend of mine who runs Lunar Solar Group marketing agency out of, uh, New York and, and Salt Lake City, he reached out to me and we'd been planning on building a tech company together. So I helped him when he launched his agency, uh, and he, uh, and I had, been trying to like make something happen and timing just wasn't right and so pandemic hit and he was like hey i'm ready like let's do this so i came in uh he and i worked together and the concept we came up with was no commerce and really it came from 10 plus years of experience that we both had in e-commerce and there's this problem that we have which is that it's very different from say like the the store that i grew up in uh it, it was a small health food store so like somebody walks in the door you know who they are you can see how they're dressed you can see the vehicle they drive you can you know uh like eventually you build a relationship with these people because you see them every week usually you know like who, who their children are why they're buying specific products dietary restrictions all these kinds of things but there's not really a way to understand that on the internet today like there just isn't really a good way of doing that there's kind of some like scraped ways of doing it, hacky ways that like Google and company use to to do that. And it's just not really a very, at the end of the day, it's proprietary to those companies. It's not very good. It's not really owned by the brands and you can't have specific insights around that. And so that's really the problem we set out to solve. Um, 2020 though was different than it is today. Um, so 2021, all the, uh, you know, iOS 14.5 came out. There's all the the blocking and privacy changes that happened there. And so attribution surveys became the number one thing that we were doing with our platform. And so, it, and that still is the case today. Uh, we have about 2000 brands we work with. They are primarily using our technology for attribution surveys. Um, and that's like, we do some really cool stuff there. We definitely have the best flow and best way of collecting that data and interpreting that data. Um, I don't think that's arguable, um, but I think my my real passion is how do we get back to like what we really were set out to to try to solve initially, which is understanding your customers better, um, like who they are and what motivates them. So I'm excited for some stuff that we'll have coming out later this year around that uh, issue specifically. Amazing, amazing, man. It's it's interesting. Um, 
two points on that. Like post-purchase surveys, they're not new, right? But, you know, I think maybe two things. One, a byproduct of how successful no commerce is becoming. Um, but it does feel like it's talked about a lot more within the ecosystem. And like my perception of that is to your point with the iOS changes, you know, data loss, there was a heightened need to have more data to try and plug those data gaps that were a result of those privacy changes. Um, and, uh, a renewed focus on retention, right. Of like really understanding your customers. Um, it, 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 do you share a similar thought? Like why have they become so popular? Why is it now so popular to talk about? Uh, definitely. I mean, the, I, what, one thing that I like to kind of talk about is like, uh, was attribution ever actually accurate? Um, cause there's kind of this, there's an assumption that it was right. And, and I'm not, to, to be clear, I'm not saying like it never was. I just think it's an interesting thought experiment because of really what we saw in 2021 was not so much that ads stopped working and that Facebook and, and those companies didn't know what they were doing. It was more so that there was no tracking. And so like overnight you went from being able to see these numbers in your dashboard that made sense to everything was being broken and you live in this world. I'm sure. I, I mean, every day it was like something new is broken and we don't know what to trust and we don't know why and all of this kind of stuff. And I think that's really the reason why triple whale and North beam and like rocket box was already around as well. But, um, like those companies really took off from that because there was like, okay, here's a, a view of data that's consistent and working and isn't breaking every other day. Um, and so there's like, we can actually see what's happening there. And then, uh, we had a, a similar sort of thing happen as well, right? Like people started coming to us because it was another view of data that they could look at and see, okay, like this is this is consistent along and then use that to match up against what you're seeing in other systems. So I do think there was an element there of like how much actually changed, uh, from before to now, like we'll never know because we don't have that insight, but there, uh, I think a lot of it, that like rise of third party attribution came more from the lack of trust than it did from like the actual lack of results. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. To your point, it wasn't that Facebook and these ad platforms stopped stop working it's just you didn't know you didn't know what was working yeah, anymore right. yeah um and, yeah, they, and they probably did lose a little bit of effectiveness right like I, i'm sure there was there was some drop off but yeah the, i think the bigger issue was just like not understanding what was actually working yeah yeah so and to be honest with you i mean you know if not not to say i'm glad it happened because i'm not because it definitely was challenging for a period but you know i i support the renewed focus because to be thinking about collecting customer data direct from customers mouths and to to have an emphasis on you know what you're doing from a retention and insights perspective it should always have been a priority right like um you know i think there's there's a lot out there the the focus was always on scale and acquisition which is obviously super important you can't keep customers you haven't acquired um, but I think the shift in the ecosystem, you know, fueled by iOS, fueled by macroeconomic changes to, to have brands really consider like their retention efforts, their customer insights, like listening to customers and everything. I think it's going to be beneficial, uh, you know, for everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think 
like the privacy concerns too. I, I think there's some legitimacy to that, right? And everybody's got their own opinions on how much that matters. And at the end of the day, I think most of us as consumers don't care too much. I mean, I kind of come from a, uh, I come at it from the standpoint of like, it's all, it's all already known anyway. Uh, so what does it matter? But, uh, but like, I still prefer not to be tracked everywhere I go. And I would prefer not to like have every company just like scraping data about me. Like I would rather know how my, know that I'm giving data and have that kind of a relationship with individual companies as opposed to like, you know, this is, this is something where it's just like, I, I don't know who knows what about me and <laughs> where it came from and how accurate it is or any of that information. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, as marketers, you, you realize what that data actually looks like. And, and the benefit of it being to personalize advertising and you know i don't want to get too cynical here, but for apple to be the company that's saving privacy when they have access to everything you do every picture you have if like yeah it's it, you know I, I don't think they're the ones uh solving your privacy they're just trying to collect it for themselves yeah let's be honest. i know <laughs> i i agree with you because they have the at the end of the day like they they own the hardware which is like the source of truth for so much of that stuff so yeah yeah let's that's that's a whole another uh podcast episode <laughs> yeah for sure so but but brands not currently utilizing post-purchase surveys right um i guess like the the sell on why is is quite obvious um from like an attribution, where did you find about us? But how how else should brands be thinking about the benefits of utilizing, you know, like a post-purchase um, survey uh, technology? Yeah, there's, um, I mean, attribution is something we focus on a lot. So I think that's like, that's the one where I'm like, okay, it's, I can outline a bunch of different things on like how this, this is impactful. Um, and I, I think, and to touch on that specifically for just a moment, I think the big difference that you see with um, with a survey attribution versus something like a triple whale, which is a great partner of ours, um, but that we we basically have totally different views of the customer journey, and so like the way that we recommend asking attribution surveys in particular is to say, uh, ask how did you first hear about us? You're looking at the first remembered touch point. How does a customer remember discover your brand? Then you ask, what brought you to our site today? That's the last touch point, right? And then you're looking at, and then the last question is how long did you know about us before placing your first purchase? And you might squeeze a couple of other questions in there to like get a, a little bit more specificity around some of this stuff. But ultimately, those three questions combined give you a really, really powerful view of the customer journey that is sometimes the opposite of what you see in something like a triple whale um, because it's backwards looking to the beginning of the journey as opposed to looking towards like what is the thing that, that drove the purchase. And so the, where I think this is most fascinating is when you start to look at, uh, breaking it down by, we like to talk about it in terms of like discovery channels versus purchase driving channels. You can also talk about it in terms of demand generation versus demand capture. But at the end of the day, there, there's oftentimes a difference between where somebody discovers a brand and what it is that actually makes them purchase. And so looking at like TikTok and YouTube, anything that's a really heavy entertainment channel typically has a really long path from discovery to purchase. Um, and really long is relative, but I'm talking about really long from a, an ad buyer standpoint, which means that you're used to looking at data in a seven day window. Oftentimes though, those purchases are happening one, three, six months after the initial discovery point. Um, and so that, that is a really interesting view of data that you, you can't really pick that up from like a, a pixel tracking system or 
um, even eminent MMM models are going to struggle with that um, just because it's so backwards uh, in time. So that's one that's really interesting. And then like the reason we we're confident that like this actually works is you can look at Google and it's totally the opposite. Like almost everybody who discovers a brand on Google buys within the first week. And it makes sense if you think about customer behavior, that person is in problem solving mode. They have a problem, they're looking for a solution. And so they're just looking for the right solution to their problem. They're going to buy pretty quick versus the person in entertainment mode. You could be targeting the right customer, but they're not in problem solving mode. And so they're not going to go out and buy it. Not usually anyways. Um, some will, but generally speaking, that, that process is going to take longer. So I think from surveys, like one of the things this all just to kind of come back to like what we're looking for is understanding like how customers feel about themselves, think about themselves and looking for like motivators and, and behavior pieces that you really can't understand from a pixel or a click or something like that. Right. So that's how that works in attribution, but there's really cool things that you can do beyond that. And we're working to, to standardize isn't the right word, but, uh, systematize as much of this as possible. So looking at things like, um, what's the what's your customer's confidence level in their spending from like like how do they see that changing over time uh are they going to be spending more or less in their mind and this is all the this is their perception doesn't necessarily mean it's reality but understanding that can have an impact on your your ads right who uh who are they as people what is it that motivates them to buy again like they may not be telling you what is exactly truth but they're telling you what they believe and knowing what they believe is really impactful. And I do think like at the end of the day, that is probably the biggest differentiator from asking somebody versus using an algorithm that's like looking at behavior. And so it may not be actual behavior, but it's perception of self and self behavior. And that's a really important view of data. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a great answer. Um, going back to what you mentioned around like the, you know, what, the limitations around pixels and attribution models and MMM. Um, and the difference between discovery and, and purchase, right? I think like, you know, if, if I look at why that's beneficial on the, like the front end of marketing is it helps you understand where to spend money from a channel perspective. Right. And I think, you know, one of the biggest use cases, um, with no for, for even brands that we work with is actually been TikTok, right? And you think about where TikTok is going, it's, you know. I think initially when Meta started having performance challenges, right? People were like, oh, TikTok, let's just move, let's just move our money to TikTok because that'll perform um, varying degrees of success, right? But what it, it, the benefit of having this type of data and on a tool that now I think is becoming, not to say it can't perform from a one-to-one -one kind of lower funnel perspective, but it's a really strong discovery awareness tool, right? You, you don't see that within traditional attribution models potentially or the, the full impact of that. So that's you know, one use case I know even for us, it justifies um, or a supported investment into channels like that where, um, you know, if you didn't have that data point, you'd potentially pull back and that's going to harm you, not in the short term, but six months, six months down the line. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that really is the key is that it's not, and we see this all the time and I don't, I'm never going to tell a brand or an advertiser, like you should or shouldn't do something because at the end of the day, like they know their business better than we do. That's the reality. So, um, we're never going to tell somebody that, but what is interesting is we do see brands sometimes 
and they'll be spending money on something like TikTok and they don't and YouTube is very, very similar. They're they're almost um I don't want to say they're exactly the same in terms of behavior, but like it's it's similar behavior. Um if you want to look at like the channels that are like Google drives purchases very quickly. It's almost immediate, right? Um, Meta is kind of in the middle, both Instagram and Facebook. And Facebook's a little faster typically than Instagram. And, and so we actually, we feel like there's kind of like a spectrum, right? So like some some channels are really good at driving discovery. Some of them are really good at driving purchases and, and action. And so on that spectrum, Google's on one end, TikTok and, and YouTube are on the other end. And what you're doing though, by spending on on YouTube and TikTok is that you are feeding that top of funnel essentially, right? And so like that's creating the awareness, it's creating that top of funnel. And so, yeah, to your point, if it takes six months to purchase, you can turn off your ad spend and run like a test for a month. And you're like, well, I turned off TikTok, it didn't have an impact. That's because you're not gonna see the impact for four more months. <laughs> and so, or like it'll be minimal impact and then you'll really start to see that over time. And so that's the that's the thing we really try to push people on is like, hey, understand, like ask your customers how long it's taking them to purchase. Understand that based on that first discovery touch point. And then that should, it's not gonna, it depends on your comfort level, but like just as an example, we have a, a brand we work with uh, in the baby uh, category and they, uh, for TikTok in particular, only 15% of people say that they buy in the first week. And so for every dollar that's coming through and you're looking at it and you're like attribution uh, for, and looking at your ROAS, you know, one week ad spend ROAS, all this kind of stuff, the actual like potential of that money is seven times that long-term. And so if you're looking at a one ROAS today, that doesn't look good, but what if that's worth $2 a month from now and $3 three months from now and $7 a year from now? Um, and so like you ever, you've got your, your payback time that you need on your ads and all this kind of stuff. So there's a ton of factors and this is why we don't tell businesses like, Hey, you should or shouldn't do this. But like, that's what we want you to be aware of is like, if that's the case, then the actual impact is probably multiples of what you're seeing in that seven day row as window. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and, and yeah, cause if, if you are making those short term decisions with the, without this data, not only do you not see the impact now, you see it down the line. Then to regenerate that, it's not an immediate. You got to wait then another six months or whatever the life cycle is. So you you could be really harming yourself, you know, potentially. I mean, obviously you got to look at what the data and it's going to change by vertical and products and everything else. But I think as well, that's, you know, even, even for us, I was to the earlier point of why have post-purchase surveys kind of become really talked about is that one-to-one -one communication with customers and it's data that isn't available in this way, in this format within other, you know, data sets. Um, and I also like the fact that with, with this, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong on this point, you can ask your customers, whatever you want, right? So just what I mean, so you can, you can use this for attribution. You can also use it for other things. D do you have any, any examples of how brands are using post-purchase surveys for other data points other than kind of that discovery and acquisition piece yeah for sure and we we talk about like their brands are at different stages of their life cycle right so um there's like we we have a good number of brands that are on the smaller side where let's say it's 
sub 500 orders a month. Like the, the reality is that, well, really at like two, 300 orders a month is where like attribution surveys start to become meaningful. But the reality is that like, if you're under a certain amount of data coming in, like, it's just not that meaningful, except to give you like some directional frame framework. And probably if you're at that low of an order volume, you should probably just be spending on one platform anyway. Right. So like using, using some other metrics, like MER is probably going to be more impactful. So, um, in that context, it's all about from, from our standpoint, it's all about understanding the, the customer's motivations. Why are they buying your product? Why did they choose you instead of a competitor? Um, and also like understanding where these things are happening does have some impact in that context for sure. But that's a really good use case for surveys because it could be totally open-ended. You just let people tell you stories basically. Um, and that can have a massive impact on ads and all that kind of stuff. Um, beyond that, then, um, looking at demographics, um, understanding purchase motivators at scale, um, are, are really great things to do, um, for companies that have a lot of consumable products or are changing up their inventory regularly asking research questions to understand like what customers are looking for can be really valuable. Um, good example of this. We have a brand we work with that they, they are sparkling water. They basically <laughs> develop their flavors based off of what customers say in the surveys and, you know, just take the day, let, let, let them type in whatever, drop it into a word cloud and see like what the, the, the responses come back with and build a flavor based off of that. Right. So. There's some really cool stuff that they can do there. And then what's what's really cool as well is like, let's say you you connect our system up to Klaviyo and other systems will usually allow that for this too. You can then pipe that data into Klaviyo and now you can build a customer segment based off of people who want a specific product um, and then feed that back, uh, feed that into Klaviyo and then send emails when that product gets launched, right? So some cool things there for sure. Um, and then one of the things that I'm really interested in we're trying to do a little bit more of is helping brands understand behavior outside of their Shopify store. So like a lot of the brands we work with are selling on Shopify, but then they're also selling on Amazon or in retail. And in those contexts, you don't get the ability to ask customers questions. Um, and certainly like your pixels and stuff from your, uh, your ad tracking don't fire at all in those contexts. So what's been really cool is asking customers questions like have you ever bought a product and have you ever bought a product in a store before or on amazon um and obviously depends on where you're actually selling but um in that context it's pretty exciting because then we can use at least in our platform and this is definitely unique to us we can push people down uh different flows of questioning based off of that so like one brand we're working with they just they discovered that a third of their customers who said that they'd first bought in the store were coming from Instagram. So they, they basically said like, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll give you the exact question. So it was, um, have you ever purchased a product in store before? If they say yes, then it's, did you purchase in store or online first? If they say in store first, then it's asking them, how did you first discover us? And then they're saying Instagram. So that's a really impactful data point. And that isn't necessarily representative of all your in-store shoppers because these are people that have bought online as well. But it does give you some indication that your online advertising is impacting retail sales. So you can at least go to your the board, your boss, whatever, and be like, look, we know that what we're spending on Instagram is having some impact on retail sales. Um, and then maybe from there you 
you know, if you really want to know, <laughs> go out and survey shoppers at the stores or however you want to do that, right? Like there's other methods you could to use to try to get into those places and, and ask those questions too. But um, yeah, that's the, or, or send, there's, there's always a disconnect, right? So you got to be careful with like how far you take that uh, because there's, there's a, there is some separation between those two customer groups, but it can at least give you some insight that you didn't have previously. Yeah, definitely. Not super cool use case. Um, do you have any data around how many people actually complete post-purchase surveys? Because I, I imagine a large part of this, to your point, is, you know, and this just comes down to any any data point, is your interpretation and then application of, of findings. Um, you, you probably, I'm, I'm sure there's a data significance threshold at which, you know, if one person says it was this, you're probably not going to bet you bet your entire budget on that what what data can you share around like you know what percentage of people are completing the surveys are there things that brands are doing that increase that percentage because obviously the more volume the more significance the more you can figure out trends um what do you what do you see around that good question um and this is definitely why we have different recommendations for what to ask based on size of company too right so broadly speaking um average percentage of people who answer a survey on our platform is 45%. So oh, wow. um, that's actually higher than I thought. Yeah, it's, and it varies a lot. So um, that's normal, but I, or that's average, but I would say normal range, expected range is like 20, 25% on the low end up to like 65 on the high end. Like that's kind of a, that's a normal range. Above that is exceptional. Below that, there's probably something wrong with the type of question you're asking there's it's not positioned well on your order confirmation screen things like that right so um but what's crazy is every brand is different and i've even seen different customer bases of the same brand have very different response rates so like we have some brands we work with they have you know us site uk site canadian site they can ask the same exact question uh same exact page everything looks exactly the same function is exactly the same and they can have very different response rates because customers are different. So there's, and this is something we're trying to figure out how to research a little bit more in terms of like, can we figure out who doesn't answer a survey? Very hard to do that uh, because they're not answering a survey. But anyway, that's one of the things we're looking into. I've got to ask on that point. I'm trying to think, do Brits answer more frequently than, than Americans? Or was Brits less likely? I should look into that. So we, we should be able to figure that out because we've got like, um, we know location and, and like some store stuff. So that, that would be really interesting for sure. I should go back and look at that brand specifically and see which one I, cause I'm pretty sure it's a UK. Yeah. It's a very selfish ask. I'm just trying to think like me as a yeah, brand. I'm curious. Do I, do I fill them out? I'm a little bit, I can, I just, just give me my stuff. But I just want, I just want my product. <laughs> well, and I think the. I think the big takeaway though is how I think it's more about brand affinity than anything else, right? How does how does this customer feel for this brand? And the higher the brand affinity, the more likely a customer is to fill out a survey. Because we literally we we have one that I've seen recently, it's a subscription only business. Eighty five percent of people answer the survey. An insane number. And so they probably have a very high level of engagement with that person before they ever purchase. And that's my suspicion. Um, not a hundred percent sure about that, but I think that's probably the case. That's a really interesting thought, actually, that you can probably get a sense of your brand's affinity and how, you know, engaged your customers are in you as a brand by their response rates. 
That is really interesting. Yeah, we should look at that because uh, that's something we could theoretically study as well. And I imagine that's why it changes well by like by product because if it's more of a commodity based, it's like, well, I just I just I just want my you know I, I want my knives. You know, I just want to chop my my salads up. Where I don't know if it's like a clothing brand where you're kind of you know buying into the brand. You know, I I use this brand too much as a as a reference point represent. It's so founder driven. I I imagine might be wrong, but if you look at post purchase survey, if you had like the same sample size of a more commodity driven product versus a brand like a represent, you know, to your point, I. I imagine the response rate would be far higher on something like a represent than I might be wrong. Um, and I'm sure there's some great knife brands out there, but that would be my assumption. I think you're onto something there for sure. Um, because just anecdotally, the founder driven brands that founder or celebrity, that's the other thing driven brands that we work with just off the top of my head, like every one of them I can think of is over a 50% response rate, like 50% plus of people answer those questions. The ones that I know, and there's, there's 2000 plus brands. So there's a lot that I don't know off the top of my head, but, um, yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's the number one factor. Um, the type of question you ask. So like asking a radio, like a radio question type where it's like a single response, that's going to get a uh, multiple choice, single response. That's going to get the best response rates, uh, asking, making it feel conversational. So saying something like before you go, dot, 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 how'd you first hear about us? Um, that usually does better than just like a, how'd you first hear about us? <laughs> um, and so I think like, but again, that's brand dependent as well. I mean, it depends on how you talk to your customers. Um, so yeah, I say that, you know, phrasing the survey in a way that feels on brand is helpful. Um, what was the other point? Oh yeah. Things like free text entry and all that, like you're just not going to get very high response rates because you're, you're asking somebody to type something in as opposed to just clicking a button. Um, and then the other thing that has an impact is just placement. So what else is going on in your confirmation screen? Where'd you put it on your confirmation screen? All those things. And that's, that's usually that and like brand affinity are the two biggest ones. If you have your survey on the top of the screen, you can expect, you know, 30, 40, 50% response rates. If you have it at the bottom, good luck getting more than 10. So, uh, it just depends. So yeah. Makes sense. That that's sort of, I mean, it's super valuable for people who are testing post-purchase that if a brand is looking to work with, no, do you have some of these templates? Like, is there, is there like helpful resources if people want to dive into this of how to avoid some of these common mistakes? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like kind of alluded to earlier, there's one of the things we're really focused on is helping brand, like helping systematize things so that like there's kind of a, uh, a best practice in place always when you start using our system. So yeah, we have, we actually, at last I looked, it was 31 different pre-built surveys. So those are anywhere from, you know, two questions to 15 or 20 question surveys. Right. So, um, and literally you just, you just click a button that builds the entire survey for you. So like attribution surveys, we have a few different versions of that that are really beneficial demographics, psychographics, all kinds of stuff. So that's nice because like, you're like, okay, I just want to know like more about my customers and I don't know what to ask. Click a couple of buttons, deploy a survey. We'll start feeding you data. Um, the, so there's that piece of it. And then we do have a library of pre-built questions too. So, you know, if you want to build, build your own survey with pre-built kind of best practice questions that exists, or just like fully custom build your own survey, 
but yeah, that's one of the things we definitely try to do is, is make it just really easy to, to get like a best practice survey in place. So like the, the attribution surveys, uh, are depends on the length, but they're typically going to be 60 to 90% completion rates. So of the people that start at 60 to 90% are going to complete it. And then all, all of them have like a 45 to 50% first question response rate, just because we know that question's really well optimized. So nice. Amazing. And you mentioned um, earlier that really cool use case around integrating to Clavio. I know you guys recently launched the integration to Triple Well. Um, how, talk talk a bit more about how you think through integrations. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's there's kind of two types of integrations that we look at. So the one is data integrations, where we're basically pushing data into other systems. So Triple Whale is a good example of that. Clavio, Shopify. Uh, like Shopify tags, specifically pushing data into Shopify to, to add tags to orders, customers, things like that. Um, something like a Google Sheets, uh, where you're pushing data into another system. Um, we have an API, lots of brands pull data out. We have a partnership with TikTok. They actually, um, if you if you sign up for TikTok, or sorry, sign up for a product and advertise on TikTok, they'll actually give you ad credits to basically connect your survey data into TikTok, which is pretty cool. Um, at least for now, I don't know how long that program <laughs> lasts, but that's the way it works now. They'll, they'll give up to five thousand dollars in ad credits. Okay, so jump, jump on it now, then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's like that. There's that type of integration where it's like data being pulled out of our system to enhance other things. Um, and Triple Whale is a great use case of that, where basically they pull in the attribution data, they map it against their. It's actually super cool because they have a really good view of like specific ads, like what ads are working from a purchase driving standpoint, right? And then our view is kind of the opposite of that. So when you pull that data in, they're doing some cool modeling where you can actually say, okay, we want to look at like survey data versus some of these other things. So you can kind of like, you can transform it a little bit to say, okay, like, like typically TikTok and YouTube, again, like those two are really high on like front end discovery. So like those, those two are going to show up with way more attribution in TikTok if you associate the survey data to it than if you just don't have that. So. Anyway, that's a really fun use case and, and great way that, that that kind of data is used. And then the other type of integration we have is uh, around a feature that we call actions, where basically like we have something in our survey UI to push somebody to do something. So a good example of that is like downloading a Tapcar app or joining a social snowball sharing program or joining um, a refer a friend program or a VIP group or those kinds of things. So. We've got a lot of integrations where it's really just us like pushing somebody to go do something um, and building an integration around that. So those are like the two types of integrations. And and the goal is to have as many of those as possible on both fronts. Um, but we we really focus, our, our top priority really is like making sure that we're collecting data and giving the ability to have some interpretation of that, the meaning of that data inside our platform so you don't have to use external uh, integrations. Yeah, awesome. Super cool. Uh, Jeremiah, we're coming up uh, to keep this bite-sized. Um, I, could talk to, I could talk to you for ages. It's actually the hardest thing about doing this podcast is it's bite-sized, so it's meant to be snackable, but there's so much there's so much knowledge with everybody that I'm talking to. Um, but really appreciate you coming on. Um, some great information. I mean, I'm a big fan of no commerce and, and the utilization of post-purchase surveys. It's been super beneficial to us. Um, our agency and the brands we're working with. Um, if people want to find out a bit more 
Um, I mean, I'll have the links anyway, but no commerce. And where can they find you? Where are you most active? Yeah, um, Twitter and LinkedIn, both just like Jeremiah Prummer, uh, first name, last name together. So it's my handle. Uh, pretty simple. So yeah, I'm on both those places. Um, and Jeremiah at nocommerce.com if you want to send me an email. Um, so yeah, we got uh, tried it. We we're really big on just connecting with people as much as possible. So love to connect. Awesome. And like I said, I'll have the links and everything. But uh, Jeremiah, uh, really appreciate you coming out. We'll round out one one last question. What are you most excited about in 2023? Uh, from a business standpoint, I well, I mean. This is actually just probably generally what I'm most excited about. Uh, really getting back to like attribution, we've done a really good job and, and do some really cool stuff. I'm most excited about like making insights about customers more digestible and easier to attain. So we got some cool stuff coming out this year that I think will um, will really be a game changer on that front. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how that actually plays out in practice. Theory is always different than practice. Sometimes better, sometimes worse. But uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm excited for. To, to really dive into that this year. Amazing. Sounds great. And because you teed it up, okay, that's business outside of business. <laughs> Personal, man, I'm going to, I think uh, I've got two little kids now, so two-year-old and a six-month-old. Um, we are planning on going to Italy for like a week this summer. First real vacation in a long time. So I think I'm excited about that. It'll be fun. A that lot of work. Like but it'll yeah. be fun. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what's harder? Um, two kids under the age of three going to Italy or building a business? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> raising children is way harder than building a business. For sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know. You, yeah, I totally <laughs> agree with that. You know what that's like. So. I definitely it's probably It's probably personality uh, specific to some extent too. But yeah, for yeah. me, I, being a startup CEO is easier than raising kids. Agreed. Okay, yeah. we'll end it on there. Jeremiah, I appreciate cool. you, my man. Thank you so <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, thank you. Yep, appreciate it.